Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So if you're interested in, in going to Zambia, we'll be taking another team next year uh, to do work there. Fantastic opportunity for ministry, great need, and the prayer cards will be down front. These guys will be here as well. You're welcome to come down and speak to them or ask them questions you might have um, once the service is over. Now, before I begin this morning, very quickly, I want to uh, kind of update you on some very interesting and exciting information that we've got. Um, we've been talking for the last several months about buildings and updates, and I think we've got a couple of pictures. Uh, if we could bring a picture up, maybe, Wanda, I think we've put somewhere in the schedule some pictures of the building. We've been trying to figure out our, our growth issue for a while. We've been praying about uh, how to expand and how to have more space, and we need a couple of different areas uh, we, we're seeing a lot of growth in our worship services, and we're seeing a lot of growth in our children's department and various other places as well. But those are kind of the two key areas right now that we're trying to address. And so we proposed several months ago that you guys begin to pray about and think about uh, some additional space. So let me kind of tell you where we are in our process. We've gotten construction plans. We've gotten actual bid numbers. And so I feel like I can, I can tell you some specifics right now. I'm not going to go into a lot of time right now because I feel like we need to worship in a worship service. But we are going to set aside... Q&A type sessions and some other presentations in the evenings, different nights, to give you a chance to ask any questions you may have. But here's kind of what we're proposing. Yeah, here's kind of what we're, Go back to that main picture, if you would, please. Here's the big picture of what we're proposing. There's actually another one of kind of the front. Um, try a different one. No, one more. It's kind of an angled view. That one. Keep that one up for just a few minutes, if you would. We're proposing, first of all, that we expand our current sanctuary. So we want to knock out the back wall, knock this wall out, and kind of make the sanctuary a little bit longer, put additional seating in the back. Uh, we can. We've actually looked at actual drawings now. We can increase our seating in here from about 350 to 580. So we can gain a good bit of seats in our worship center. That's about a 65% increase. Across three services, that's about 1,700 people in our worship, surf, <clears throat> worship services. So we're going to expand interior of the sanctuary. Uh, we'll have a, comp- a complete renovation of the interior and the exterior. So you can see kind of the outside, um, the kind of the tower and the part that goes out from the main part of the, uh, of the roof line is out into the parking lot there. That's a lobby expansion. That's the front part of the lobby that will wrap around the, the front part of the building as well and all to the side. So we'll get a brand new lobby. We'll get new additional seating here, complete renovation in here with the carpet, the seating, the lighting, everything's going to be different, brand new lobby, uh, interior and exterior, and then we're going to build a children's building as well, so kind of the flat area on the other side of the children's department, Uh, if you're heading into town, kind of that little flat spot right there on the left as you're leaving our property, that will be our new children's area. So a lot we can do, a lot we want to expand, we believe we can do all this for $3.3 million dollars. Now, we thought we'd be right around three, so we're pretty close to our estimate. We are pretty confident we can raise the majority of this money. Uh, Our church has always operated debt-free, and when we've had to take out loans in the past, they've been very small and very manageable. So we believe we can raise the vast majority of this money. So here's what I want you to do uh, over the next couple of weeks, few months. uh, Obviously, be praying about this, be thinking about this. We're going to give you some dates here uh, in the next couple of weeks where you can come and ask specific questions where I'll, uh, I'll email you the plans if you want. I have constraints, 180-something pages of plans. You can have them if you want them and look at them. I want, I want you to have anything you want 
Any information you need, I want you to have it. We're going to be as transparent as we possibly can about what we're doing. We're going to give you as much information as you want. Uh, I'll be happy to meet with any one of you. I've already had several meetings with people in the last few weeks. You can ask me anything you want to ask because I want you to know what we're proposing. I want you to understand what we say we want to do. Uh, this is a big deal for our church. Um, guys, you probably already know this, but there are a lot of churches that are not talking about expansion. There are a lot of churches that don't get to have this kind of conversation. So there's a lot that has to be done. It's a, it's a lot of money. It's a lot. But it's a lot of cool stuff because God's doing work here. He continues to bring people to our church. He continues to grow our church. We continue to have young families with young children. Uh, we, we need additional space. So I want you to be praying about this, thinking about it, educating yourself. Uh, the deacons this last week, we've been talking with them in some detail. They've seen the plans and kind of been walking through the process with us. They voted unanimously to, to move forward with this. So that's a good, good indication that the leadership of this church is, is completely on board. But here's what I want you to understand. This is really important. I'm going to ask you to vote on this. I'm not going to lead our church into a major building project with several million dollars without knowing the vast majority of our church is behind this project. So on October the 1st, we're going to actually give you a ballot and you're going to vote on it. Here's what I want you to do between now and then. I want you to pray about this. There's a business side of this, yes. There's a financial side of this, of course. But in my mind, the biggest side of this is the spiritual ramifications of what this is going to allow us to do years into the future. All right, we're celebrating 50 years uh, the 15th of October. 50 years of our church history and the growth. And we believe this is a great way to kind of kick off the next 50 years. Uh, you're sitting in pews and in a building that people many, many years ago sacrificed to build. They gave money to build it. They gave their time, their passion, their efforts. And we stand on their shoulders. And so I want people to look back 50 years from now at this generation and say, man, we're, we're in this facility, we're reaching the world for Christ because we're standing on the shoulders of the people that did this and gave and sacrificed this. So we've got this incredible opportunity to really be part of something special, to continue this process, to continue this growth, reaching our community for Christ. So you get informed. You pray, you come to Q&A sessions, you call me, I'll answer any question you have about it, I'll show you plans, anything you want to know, I'll give it to you. The 1st of October, we're going to vote, and assuming the church uh, approves this, which I've heard from a lot of people, the excitement level, and, and kind of uh, looking forward to what we're going to do, assuming the church approves this, we're going to get started. So there's a lot to do, a lot to talk about, but I, I need you to commit to praying for this. I need you to be involved in understanding where we're going and uh, hearing from the Lord to make sure we're heading in the right direction, okay? So, more to come, a lot more information, but I wanted to update you. Very exciting, uh, the direction of the church. You know, the fact that we get to have these discussions, we praise the Lord for that. You know, I've, I've said this to you before, and we don't really compare ourselves to other churches ever because we want to do what the Lord's called us to do here, but there are a lot of churches that, that have a, a hard time making payments. There's a lot of churches that aren't able to do the things we do, and we give all the praise and glory to the Lord. We trust Him. For 50 years, He's blessed this church. 50 years, He's blessed this church. And He's still doing it. And we've got this incredible opportunity to continue that legacy, to take the legacy that He's already given us and build upon it for the next 50 years. And I want you to be a part of that. Let's pray together, and now we're going to get started. <clears throat> Father, we just thank You for what You're doing in this church. The growth we've seen, Father, uh, really from the beginning, but especially lately, the, the young families and couples that you're sending to us, we praise your name for that, Father. We love you. Uh, it's, it's not because anything we're doing, Lord. It's because everything you're doing 
And you've entrusted us with this, Father. And so I, I want right now you to place a burden in the hearts of our people to begin and continue praying for this process. Praying for this expansion, Father. Praying for all the things that have to take place between here and there. Lord, we, we see a, a building as a tool to reach this community. Father, help us figure out exactly how we need to do it, exactly how we need to proceed, and we're going to praise your name for everything that you do. Father, be with us now as we study your word. We're going to base all of our decisions on your truth. We're going to base our decisions on what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. Enlighten our hearts. Open our minds. May we, through the power of the Spirit, be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We are continuing our study this morning through the sermon series, through the book of Acts, and a sermon series we've entitled From Ordinary to Extraordinary. And I love this study, and I love this theme, this title, because time and time again, we're going to see the Lord take average, ordinary people and through the power of the Spirit working in their lives, going to do extraordinary things. I was thinking about that this week and, and kind of that idea and the progression we've already seen in Acts with these believers and what the Lord's doing. And, and the Lord kind of reminded me of something, and I think maybe you need to be reminded of this as well. You can do extraordinary things for, for the Lord right where you are through the power of the Spirit working in your life. Did you know that? Like, like, you don't necessarily have to get on an airplane. You don't necessarily have to wait six months or a year or two years. You don't necessarily have to change jobs or, or whatever. You can do extraordinary things through, through the Lord working in your heart right where you are. I think sometimes we, we, we think, you know, I've got to get to this point, or I've got to go here, or I've got to do these kinds of things. You know, uh, you're off tomorrow, but maybe Tuesday morning. What about doing extraordinary things for the Lord in your place of business? What about doing extraordinary things for the Lord in, in your home over the holiday weekend or at the ball field or, or whatever the case may be? I just think we need to be reminded that as we trust the Lord, as we allow the Lord to work, as we allow the Spirit to lead us and guide us, we can do extraordinary things right where we are. Now, we've already seen the early church and some of the pretty extraordinary things that are taking place in the book of Acts. And, and so we're going to jump right in this morning. We've got a lot to cover, a lot to look at. And I want to go ahead and think through this with you. But let me just give you a little reminder. Just kind of remember where we are. We studied last week the beginning of the book of, uh, the beginning of chapter 2 in the book of Acts. The, the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost. Remember, the believers had been waiting in the upper room. Christ commanded them to go and pray and to wait. So they've been waiting for the Spirit praying, seeking the Lord. The Holy Spirit falls upon them and incredible things happen. Remember the, the fire and the sound of the rushing wind and, and the, the, the sound is so great that the people outside hear it and they gather and the, the, the followers of Christ kind of come down out of the upper room. It's, it's this sense of walking out into the streets among these people and they're speaking in other languages and the people that see the followers of Christ believe they've been drinking. 
Like you guys are acting crazy, you're doing silly things, you're not acting like yourself. You've obviously been drinking, and so we kind of pick up the story, right? It's been a week for us, but in, in this context, the, the followers have just been filled with the Spirit. They've just come down out of the upper room. They're, they're walking into the streets now among the people. They're being accused of drinking. And now verse 14 of Acts chapter 2, we pick up the story. But Peter, and Peter's going to kind of, we're going to see his ascension, right? His rise in prominence with the apostles. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, right? So he's speaking to the crowd now. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, right? It's the morning. They're not drinking, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, just remember, this is important, right? We don't, we don't always remember this in our context. These early century Christians, these first century Christians, didn't have the New Testament. A New Testament had not been written. So it's not as if Peter is going to say to these people, Hey, let me pull out my New Testament and open to the book of John. That hadn't been written. So he's speaking to these Jewish people, right? He's speaking to the people of Judea and Jerusalem. And he's saying to them, listen, the prophet Joel wrote this. Now, Joel was an Old Testament prophet. The people would have been familiar with Joel. Peter is going to make this interesting connection. This is important. Peter's going to make this connection between what was written in the Old Testament, the prophecies, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, right? So he's going to connect the Old Testament with what's going on now. So verse 14. He's quoting the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. Right. So in the end, he says in the end, the, the spirit is going to be poured out upon these people. Verse 19. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and the earth below. Blood and fire, vapor of smoke. Right. All indications we've seen of the spirit. The sun shall be turned to dark the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now pause just for a second. Peter is saying to these Jewish people listen, all you've read about all you've studied, you've grown up with this understanding of the prophets and the end times and their prophecies. You're familiar with Joel. You know what Joel said and what he prophesied. You need to understand, men of Jerusalem, that what Joel has prophesied about the Spirit is now coming to pass in your presence. And so, so what's happening to these men, right? They're not drunk, they simply have been filled with this spirit that Joel and other Old Testament prophets spoke of. It's kind of the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. It's the fulfillment of all that the Lord spoke of through these prophets. Now, he's going he's gonna to transition now from Joel and the Holy Spirit to prophecies about Christ. So verse 22. Men of Israel, he's reminding them, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth... A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by. Now hold on just for a second, right? Peter is speaking to these Jewish people. He's reminding them of Jesus. He's saying to them, listen, the Lord sent Jesus. The Lord gave you Jesus. And all of his foreknowledge and all of his wisdom and all of his plan, the Lord sent Christ to this earth and you, now just imagine the the finger in the chest, you killed him. God gave him to you. And you killed him. Now verse 25, for David says concerning him, now he's going to tie in David, the Old Testament, again to Christ. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that he would set up one of his descendants on the throne. Right. So the connection from David to Jesus. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing for David did not ascend into heaven, but was himself. But he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make you enemies of your footstool. Now verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Right? There's the finger in the chest again. God gave him to you. You crucified him. Now this is important. Look at verse 37. Here's the response. So when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the rest of the apostles said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's stop for a minute, okay? There's a lot, right? We covered a lot in there. We're going to backtrack in just a second kind of explain it. But Peter's going to stand up. He's going to give this sermon. And I want you to kind of hear the heart of the sermon and then what that's going to actually lead to. So here's, here's the first kind of truth I want you to pull out of these first few verses. Number one. We're going to give it to you and then kind of explain it. First, the gospel leads to repentance and salvation. The gospel leads to repentance and salvation. Now let's make sure we understand what we're talking about here because Peter is going to stand up. And just remember, Peter is the guy that denied Jesus. Peter's the guy that fled when Jesus was being arrested 
Peter was the guy that kind of hid in the upper room. Peter's this guy that's been afraid, uncertain. Uh, he's a guy over the course of the ministry of Jesus that kind of put his, his foot in his mouth a lot of times. Right? His, his mouth ran faster than his brain. And so he's done kind of some boneheaded things. Uh, he's been a failure to Christ oftentimes. He's been afraid. Uh, he's been petrified and kind of hiding in an upper room. But because of the, the power of the Spirit upon him, God takes this ordinary sinful guy and, and does some pretty extraordinary things through because now he's going to stand up and he's going to give one of several sermons we're going to see these sermons throughout the book of acts that are compelling and challenging but but here's what i want you to understand about the sermon this is really important this is the heart of what i'm trying to get at and what luke is trying to get at in these these passages of scripture this sermon that peter gives is all about jesus It's all about Christ. Now, we would define the the gospel. I'm going to use the word gospel. I've used it up here. We would define the gospel as the good news about Jesus. So when we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, now Peter is going to kind of go through the life of Jesus, right? His life, uh, his ministry, his death, his his resurrection, his his exaltation, right? He's going to kind of condemn these people and challenge these people. And and, and by the way, just kind of a side note here, uh, repentance always comes after we've been confronted with our sin, Right? We have this sense sometimes in the modern church that we need to kind of take sin and hide it and we don't want to talk about it because it it, it upsets people and it can be divisive and we don't want to upset and hurt people's feelings. But what we see scripturally is that when people are confronted with their sins, there's repentance and salvation. And so Peter makes it real clear, hey, you killed Jesus. God gave him to you, he sent him to this earth, he did miraculous things, and, and you killed him, right? So, so Peter presents this real simple truth of the gospel, and then verse 37, pull 37 up if you would for me, please. So they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the brothers, what shall we do? Now verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the gospel is presented, it always leads to repentance and salvation. Now, I want to make just a very simple statement to you then I want to think about it for a few minutes. Very simple statement. No matter what we're dealing with, no matter what we're going through, no matter what questions or issues we have in life, the statement very, very simply is this. The gospel is enough. Now I'm going to say that again because most of y'all are thinking, yep, that's right, next. We know that. We already know that. I want to say it again to you. The gospel is enough. So, so just let's plug that into our lives, right? Whatever you're dealing with or whatever struggle you have or issue, or, the gospel is enough. <laughs> right, Romans tells us in, in 116, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I think that's interesting, right? He's not ashamed. I wonder how many of us are ashamed sometimes to speak it or to share it or to make decisions based on it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You know, we live in a, in a very complex world, don't we? And there's a lot of complex things going on. I mean, you think about just technology, you know, the technology that we deal with now and the, the information we have access to and the phones and computers and devices and, and all that technology, that, that's very complex. 
You think about the, the, the medical advancements and, and the scientific advancements and the, and the complexity of those things. You think about kind of the, 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 the way the world uh, is set up now, the geopolitical type, you know, the, the issues we're dealing with with other countries, North Korea and Russia and Middle Eastern and all the things we're dealing with in America. Those, those are complex things. Uh, our, our lives, it seems to me at least, are busier than they've ever been, right? Our lives are more complex. But I believe, just a side note, this is just my opinion, I really think generations from now, they'll look back on our time and think that our sin was a sin of busyness. We're just too busy. And, and, and look, I'm staying at the head of the line. It's not like I just lay around all day doing nothing, right? We're all busy, but nowhere in Scripture do we really find that. We find the idea of being still and knowing that we're God and resting in His presence. And I just think sometimes we need to maybe take a step back. But there's busyness and there's things that we complex issues. And I think we fall into this trap of thinking that because the issues are extremely complex, the answers must be extremely complex. And I would say to you, simply from a biblical position, the gospel is enough. And this isn't a sermon about our country right now or where we're going. I know we've all got opinions and probably different opinions. And I would think most people would say, though, on some level that the country and the world is not going the direction it ought to go. And we can argue about what that looks like in specifics. But, but sometimes we fall in this trap of thinking if we'll just pass the right laws or elect the right people or cut or raise enough taxes wherever you stay. If we'll just do these things, it'll all get fixed. I would say to you, we're not going to fix these things without the gospel. But the gospel is enough. And I, th- I think we find ourselves trying to find answers to complex problems with complex solutions and we negate the power of the gospel. Peter just said to these people, listen, it's Jesus. You crucified him. Do something about it, right? Repent of your sins and be saved. That's the answer. There's a thousand issues probably these people are dealing with and a thousand different questions they have and a thousand solutions they think they can come up with. And Peter just simply sits them down and just says, listen guys, you need to repent of your sins. That's the answer. I love going overseas and, and, and speaking to other believers from other places because I'm, I'm always encouraged by their level of faith. Encouraged and, and then incredibly challenged and convicted. That's usually the process for me when I go overseas and talk to these people. What they're doing for Christ and I love going to Africa and ministering these people. I love going to India. And when we go to India, one of the things we do is we do these Luke 10 walks. And I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. When we go to India, they do Luke 10 walks. Luke 10, you ought to read it. It's when Jesus sent out two by two and he says, go to the villages. Don't take anything extra. You don't need a bunch of shoes or money or extra change of clothes. You just go into these villages. You preach the gospel. If people accept it, you stay and disciple them. If they don't, he says, shake the dust off your feet. That's where that verse comes from. Then move on to find somebody else. So we go over there and we always do these Luke 10 walks. And they'll basically sit us in a room and say, look, Jesus said to go out two by two. That's what we're going to do. So you go with him. You go with him. We're going to walk and we'll just stay all day preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm just always... The American side of me says, yeah, but don't we need to hand out some flyers first? I mean, don't we need a website of some sort? Don't we need to do a mass mailing? Shouldn't we text everybody first or put something on Facebook? Right? We, we make it really complicated. And I'm not against those things. I know they're real and I get all that, but I think sometimes we just make it too complicated. I write in my journal every time I go, they just simply believe the Bible's real and they're just willing to do it. It's just kind of that easy for them. That's this, this foundational, but we miss it so often. I think we just need to be reminded. I think whatever you're dealing with, whatever issues, struggles, and I know there's so many of them in a church this size, the gospel is enough. The power.
power of Christ in your life is what you need. Trust Him more. And so what we see when Peter preaches this sermon is 3,000 people get saved in one day. Anybody ever been to a revival where 3,000 people were saved? No, I hadn't either. I'd like to. That'd be really cool. But when we allow the Spirit to work and we preach the gospel, it leads to repentance and salvation. Right? But it doesn't stop there. Let's continue. Look at verse 42. So now that you've got all these new believers, all these new Christians that have come to faith in Christ, verse 42, and they, these are the believers, devoted themselves. That's, a, that's an important word right there. If you're taking notes, you ought to circle that word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done throughout the, the, through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the, pros, the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. Now, there's a, there, probably a million sermons have been preached on the end of Acts 2. It's the formation of the early church. There's a lot we could say. There's a lot of different angles we could take, but I'm going to pull out just a couple of more truths out of these big picture that I want you to think about. We, we've seen the gospel. We see how the gospel leads to life change. It leads to repentance. It leads to salvation. It is enough. The second thing we see, truth number two, is that the gospel leads to a life of devotion to the things of the Lord. So if you've kind of already had that moment of repentance and salvation and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, should now lead you to a life of devotion to the things of the Lord. Now, you know, again, I don't necessarily want to step on toes here. Well, actually, I kind of do. But uh, I want you to be challenged by this because I believe that many, many, many of us are devoted to a lot of things. I bet the things of the Lord aren't always at the top of the list. I mean, if we were real honest with ourselves and kind of listed out the things we were devoted to in our lives, there's a lot of things we're devoted to and we should be, and I bet the things of the Lord aren't always at the top of the list. Yet what we see time and time again throughout Scripture is that when people are um, confronted with the gospel when they're confronted with the truth of Christ, when they're confronted with their own sin and their own shortcoming, it not only leads them to a place of repentance and salvation, it leads them to this place of devotion to the things of the Lord. And so if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, and you're not devoted to the things of the Lord, there's a disconnect there. So four things we see. Four areas. I think we even have it on the screen if you pull those things up. Here are the four things they're devoted to. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, I want to think about those just for a few minutes, and I want to just kind of big picture remind you that they're kind of interconnected. Right? They're, they're very different things, but there's connections between them. Without prayer, uh, the early church would have missed the power of God. Without studying the apostles' teaching, they wouldn't, know how, they wouldn't understand how to live. Uh, without the breaking of bread, they would have missed the, 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 the togetherness and the fellowship and the community that the Lord called them to. So there's this, there's this connectedness of all these things, right? You don't want to just kind of remove one. Uh, you want to do all four of these things. And so I want to spend just a, a few minutes, if I could, just kind of walking through these. And I, wanna, I really want to kind of just kind of stay on one for a few minutes. So, so the first one is devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
Right, again, they didn't have the Word of God back then. I already said that. They didn't have a book they could study. They would literally sit at the feet of the apostles and listen and understand and take in and grow in their faith. Now, fast forward 2,000 years, right? Because so we're, we're always trying to figure out, right? All, we always in Scripture need to try to think, what did they do that I can apply to my life? My life now, right? So what, what did they do that I need to be doing, right? Well, how do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? We now have the Word of God. The apostles wrote some of the Word of God. And so now we don't have to worry about sitting at their feet. They, they've all been dead for a number of years, but we have the Word of God. And so we should fast forward and apply this to our lives. We should devote ourselves to study of the Word of God. So th- there should be on some level a devotion you have to God's Word. That's different for every person. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and assume you need to do it a certain way, but on some level you should be devoted to the Word of God. What does that look like for you? How are you spending time in God's Word daily? Are you memorizing Scripture? Are you studying Scripture? More importantly, are you applying Scripture to your life? Right? Are you making decisions based on the truth of God's Word? When you come to a point in your life when you're reacting one way and the Scripture calls you to react another, are you giving up what you want? Are you, you kind of taking up what you want and doing away with it and instead following the things of the Lord? We need to have a devotion to the teaching of the apostles, a devotion to God's Word. The second thing is they have this devotion to fellowship, this idea of community. I'm going to get there in just a second, but you ought to be surrounded by other believers. We'll talk more about that in just a second. They, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, this idea of fellowship, the Lord's Supper, eating meals together. And then fourthly, and I want to just kind of stay here just for a second, they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, I have this opinion, and I really hope I'm wrong. I don't think I am. But I have this opinion that believers, and let me just say, I, I would consider myself at the head of the line here. We don't pray enough. Amen. And we can talk about how much we ought to pray, and there's discussion. But I would just say to you in general terms, I'm just not sure believers are praying like they ought to pray. And yet we see all through Scripture this call to prayer, this call to regular prayer, the power of prayer, the devotion of prayer. And I ask myself the question, where's the disconnect? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a clear scriptural command. We, we, you cannot defend biblically the idea of not praying. It's just all through Scripture. You just see it over and over. So where's the disconnect? I, I had lunch this week with some folks that are on our prayer team. And I just ta- I brought this question up to them. It was on my heart a little bit. And I asked them what they thought. Do you think people pray enough? No. Why don't you think people pray enough? And so we had this kind of interesting discussion and several things came from it. One of the things they said, I think it's right. They, they said, we don't, we don't think people understand that they're really in a spiritual battle for their souls. You go back and read Ephesians, and Ephesians says, listen, we're not, we're not battling against flesh and blood. We're battling against the principalities of evil. So so there's this sense, we can't see it with our physical eyes, we have to understand it with our spiritual eyes. There's literally a battle between the things of the Lord and the things of the enemy on a regular basis for your life. Parents, the the enemy is fighting for the lives of your children. Did you know that? Did you know that? It's a constant struggle. The enemy is fighting to destroy this church. 
The enemy's fighting to destroy the leaders of this church, the people of this church, the other churches in our community. And we've seen it a thousand times, played out in a thousand different ways. But for some reason, I, I just think we don't, we don't get it that there really is a spiritual battle. And the only way we defeat the principalities of evil is by putting on the spiritual armor, which we find in Ephesians 6. One of those is the idea of prayer. We, we ought to devote ourselves to prayer. But I think maybe the, <clears throat> the bigger problem, the, the bigger struggle with, with our lack of prayer is very simply, I think we have a lack of faith. And here's what I mean by that. If I told you right now that, man, if you started praying and you kept praying for a cure for cancer, at some point in your prayer, the Lord would cure cancer. Every one of us would get on our knees right now and begin to pray and we wouldn't stop till cancer was cured, would we? If we knew it. If I said to you, the loved one you're dealing with, the sickness or the job situation or that major struggle, if you would fall to your knees and begin to pray and not stop praying until the Lord answered your prayer, we'd all do it, wouldn't we? And we, we know biblically the Lord answers prayers. We know that God does things in other people's lives. We've seen it. And yet it's like the enemy deters us every time we begin to pray from doing it because he understands the power of prayer. I talked to some of these people that, that I mentioned overseas that have they've done healings and have seen some pretty remarkable things and they talk about praying for people that are sick. And I say, just, just define that for me. What does that really look like? And they say, well, they'll come into a house where somebody's sick and they'll start praying. And they'll pray for an hour. They'll pray for an hour and then they'll stop and they'll ask the person, are you well? No, I'm still sick. All right, let's pray some more. They start praying again. They'll pray for another hour. Are you well? No, I'm still sick. Let's pray for another hour. On and on. For days sometimes. Until a healing occurs. I think, what, 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 are we, what are we missing in the busyness of life? We kind of compartmentalize Christ and prayer. And it's, you know, one other little thing just like everything else. We get a little box, a little sliver of time for this. A little time for prayer. A little time for this. I just think, man, we're, we're missing this, this untapped resource. This untapped power that if we tapped into it would literally change our lives and change the world. That's why we see in Scripture these people were devoted to these things. It wasn't just this every now and then kind of opportunity whenever we get the time, whenever we feel like. We devote ourselves to these things and when it happens, great things take place. Now I need to finish up. Let's look. Here's, here's a third truth. right? So the, so the gospel leads to repentance and salvation. It ought to change your life. It's enough. We don't need complicated solutions. We need the gospel. The gospel leads you now to a place of devotion Right? Devotion for the things of the Lord. And then truth number three, the gospel leads to community and fellowship. The gospel leads to community and fellowship. We see all through these few verses that these people were together. They had things in common. They met together. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. On and on and on we see this sense in the end of Acts chapter 2 that they were together in community, in fellowship. Now, there's a lot of different ways we could do that. There's a lot of ways we could talk about interaction. I've said this before, and I'm not going to harp on it this morning, but Christianity uh, is not an individual sport. <laughs> you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's a, that's a relationship with Jesus, a personal, very intimate relationship with Jesus. But then he asks and expects us to surround ourselves with other believers. We, we should come and contact and community and fellowship with other believers. And one of the reasons, and this is going to be difficult for somebody here, one of the reasons is that so those believers can kind of correct some of the things we're doing in our lives that shouldn't be done. 
We, we, we need people around us to say, listen, brother, I love you, but the way you acted was not right. I've had people say that to me in my life. It's hard to hear, but it's right. If you've got another believer that loves you and really wants the best for you and wants to help you and speaks to you about difficult things, that's what Christianity is designed to be. I mean, look at the way Christ all, all the time spoke to Peter and the way he corrected Peter and how he was harsh with Peter sometimes. Why? Because Peter was kind of going off the rails and Jesus needed to correct him. We are created to be in fellowship. We're created to be in community. I, there's a book, it's one of my favorite books. I read it years ago. It's called The Early Christians in Their Own Words. This guy kind of took all these old Christian writings from the first and second century, and there are not a lot of them, but he kind of combined them. And here's one of the things he said in the book. He said, the early Christians challenge us to see discipleship as a path away from self toward a wholly transformed social order. To them, it demanded a solidarity in which men and women of all backgrounds, creeds, and cultures would join hands in rejecting the spirit of the age and giving their lives instead to a new diametrically opposed cause, the rulership of Christ on earth. God calls us to be in community. So just, just one very, I'm just going to give you one real simple way to flesh that out. You ought to be in a small group somewhere. You, you need to be in a small group. But it's a Sunday morning or somebody's home at night. You need to be in an opportunity in, a, in an environment where you're with other believers in a small group, studying the Word of God, allowing iron to sharpen iron, actually allowing people to speak truth into your life, to be very honest with you, to help you grow in your faith, to fellowship with them, to have things in common with them, to love them, to work together, to accomplish the things of Christ. That's who we ought to be. We, we can't be this, this lone ranger kind of deal where we just do church on Sunday and, and maybe we pray once a week and that's all we do. We, we need to be immersed in this idea of devoting ourselves to community and to prayer and to the things of the Lord. And, and I love how this ends because I pull up verse 47 if you would for me please. Right. So we've already seen that 3,000 have been saved. But we got all these believers now who the, the gospel has led to repentance and salvation, life change, it's led to a devotion to the things of Christ, it's led them now to be in fellowship and community in ways that they never had been before, and then they're praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Two very cool things about that verse. The first one is the, the great things are happening in this church. Right, people are being saved, lives are being changed. But the interesting part, fascinating part to me, and I don't have time to talk much about it, is who added to their number? The Lord. Like, Jesus has always said, I'll build my church. Did you know that? It's not really about us to build, try to figure out all this fancy stuff and, and all the things that we do that make it too complicated. Jesus says, listen, if you'll just share the gospel, the gospel's enough. It leads to life change, challenge people in their faith. And when that happens, I'm going to add day by day those who are being saved. I'm going to grow the church, Christ says. If you'll just be faithful to my word, if you'll be faithful to teaching and preaching my word, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, devoting yourselves to the teaching of my word, devoting yourselves to prayer, following me in fellowship, if you'll do those things, Jesus said, I'll grow the church. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. I just want to encourage you with this idea. Are, are we taking the gospel and allowing it to change our lives, to mold us, to shape us, to lead us to community, to lead us to a place of devotion? That's who we ought to be. That's who Christ calls us to be. When we, when, it's not rocket science. 
But it does take devotion. It does take obedience. It does take trusting the Lord. If we'll do those things, God will take an ordinary group of people and through the power of the Spirit do extraordinary things through us. That's who I want to be. I hope you do too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's clear and understandable, Father. If we take the time to study it, we understand it, Father. Thank you for what you've shown us with the early church, with the the, the simplicity of the gospel from Peter, simplicity of the view of Christ, Lord, and, and what he means to us. Help us to understand and live our lives by this truth. The gospel, Lord, changes lives. It leads to salvation, repentance, Father. It leads people to be devoted to the things of the Lord, to live in community and fellowship. And then when those things happen, you add to our number through our faithfulness, through our trust in you. Father, use us as vessels to be filled with your spirit, to accomplish your purposes so you can receive glory. We love you and serve you in all things. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand? The altar is open. You can pray. You can speak to me. This is a chance for you to respond as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.